I'm here today with Clint Knox from Brainits. Hi, Clint. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. How is it there in Colorado? Uh, it's good. The weather's not too bad. Uh, you know, of course, right now we're in the mid of the uh, COVID outbreak, and but uh, doing doing well. The weather's nice, and trying to stay active and get a little get outside and get a little bit of good good weather when we can. Are well, you in Colorado Springs, and that just the name suggests that it's some sort of idyllic mountain uh, place? <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, it's probably not. It's probably just horrible, but it sounds lovely. <laughs> No, it is. It is actually quite lovely. Uh, otherwise, but we don't actually have any springs. Uh, that's uh, funny enough. We call it Colorado Springs, and there are no springs in our town. But uh, it is. Uh, it is a nice place. Well, you mentioned the COVID outbreak. We are actually recording this now on March the twenty third. It probably won't get released until June. So people listening to this might not get that. But we're both stuck in our houses. So if you do hear background noise from me of dogs and children and other people in my house, I'm sorry about that. But we're all stuck in in our second yeah. week of isolation which actually yeah. i'm quite i'm quite enjoying because i quite like sitting at home reading books and making podcasts and watching movies and stuff so for the moment i'm all right how are you coping with it because you're a teacher of course so this really does quite impact your job it does it does so we're uh, we've been uh, at home now for uh, two weeks as well with our with our school and so uh, i'm also at home with my two kids uh, they're two and four years old and my wife works in the healthcare industry so she is she uh, is continuing to uh, continuing to work so i'm at home with my two kids trying to trying to do uh, uh, classes for my students and uh, keep keep things as normal as possible for them there where they're checking in and they're they're taking lessons and 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 doing all that but uh um I, I will I will admit my kids are watching a little bit more TV than I'd like but uh it's it's just kind of the nature of the nature of the situation right now yeah I, I admit that my standards have slipped somewhat in terms of controlling <laughs> things like screen time just get to the point where you just think I can't do this anymore yeah but uh you wanted to talk about quite a relevant subject given given the what we're talking about now uh, yeah which is, yes I was going to say it's which uh, five ways to engage reluctant learners via e-learning which most of us in the L&D industry saying reluctant learners via e-learning is almost tautology. Almost all e-learning <laughs> people are reluctant. So what made you interested in this? Well, it, it started actually in my own classroom. I mentioned I'm a, I'm a high school uh, English teacher. And so that means, uh, and I've taught actually freshman English, which so my my age level is anywhere between 13 and, and 17 years old for my, for my students. And um I had wanted within the within that high school setting to put a lot of my lessons online, and I don't know if if, if uh, the the term flipped or blended learning will be uh, familiar with. Is that is that used in uh, in your industry as well? Yes, it is. Yeah, I think yeah. the flip so, the flipped classroom idea came from American school system. I think I remember reading yeah. an article about that being somewhere in the Bronx. It was my memory of that. Yeah. And and so I'd wanted to do that for a long time. My older brother is also a teacher out in Los Angeles, and and he's he was doing it and putting his lessons up on YouTube. And the piece that I could never quite get around was, what do you do with the kid that just kind of checks out and doesn't doesn't really pay attention to the video? And and to be very frank, there wasn't really a very good answer for that. When when you have a lecture in the classroom, you can kind of you, you kind of notice when kids are, are kind of zoning out or not paying attention or not taking notes and you can address the student. But when you put your lessons online and do it in a completely flipped or blended way, there is not there, there's there's no process to to engage, at least via YouTube alone, uh, that reluctant learner. And so I looked around for a number of tools that were out there, at least in the in the K-12 space, uh, K-12 kindergarten through 12th grade. And the best I could find were products that allowed individuals to embed questions in video instruction. And, and I thought that was a good step. But again, the problem there is students might just guess, uh, not pay attention, and, uh, and say, well, I got the required 70%, or I got the required 60%, and, and that's, that's good enough. And, uh, and I, I, wanted to, I wanted to put together a product in a way that, in essence, forced individuals to, to pay attention. And that was, that was, that was the, the, the origins of, um, of, of what, what my company became is called Brainits. And uh, we'll, we'll have a chance to talk a little bit more about kind of what it does. But it, you, you, you've, 
in a lecture setting, when you see an individual not paying attention, whether that's in school or whether that's in a corporate training, you'll call on that table or those those individuals and 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 kind of re-engage them. And I wanted to make a product that that had similar similar attributes. I can see you get, you're getting quite passionate about that because you're standing up and you're gesticulating <laughs> oh, yeah. wildly. This is obviously something of great great passion for you, which is yeah. really great to see. Yeah, well, as a teacher, that's kind of I, I. I probably can't pace around too much uh, with with my headset on, but uh, you drag the uh, computer yeah. on the floor. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, and 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 uh, the other piece, and really where where the the real origin story of of it changing from an idea to to me deciding that this is this is something I'm going to do was um, I had a student. Uh, he was he was the oldest son to a single mom, and his mom was arrested. And he went into foster care immediately, and uh, was 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 just not engaged in my classroom. I, it, as I think, none of us, none of us would be uh, kind of during that time. And so I have, I've had a lot of students absent for a variety of reasons. But I, I thought about the student. And was like, I w- I wouldn't care either. And so I needed to be able to put my lessons up online. And that was when I was like, I got to do this. So that way, when he's ready to re-engage. They're there. Those lessons are available to him, um, but I needed to do it in a way that would hold him accountable. And and it was really after that that I sought out a development team and um, started putting this this idea into into a real uh, live tool that my students could use. And 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 uh, and yeah. So that yeah, I do. I, I get I get pretty passionate about it. I, I love I love teaching, but the reality is uh, it. It, with kids, particularly, not everybody's always in a position to learn well. And adults at training, there's kind of an expectation that that you that you can. But even with adults, there's um, a wide variety of reasons why, and not just boredom. You know that that some adults may not be engaged in in the e-learning, and uh, and so that was what I wanted to do: is create create a product that could and would engage the students and uh, whether they be adults or kids and so that was that was kind of where where this came out of well you i think you really hit on something there because you said the student is not always i've forgotten the words you used but it's not always in the right place to learn and i think that's true of adults as well it's just generally true of people and if you miss something because you zone out then that can really kind of disengage the rest because you're you're then always playing catch up so to have something you can always go back to a little bit like now we're self-isolating from coronavirus. Yeah. If I could just use this as a metaphor for a second, bear with me. If if you are self-isolate, you don't pass on that uh, that virus to others, and then that has this multiplier effect down the road. Yeah. And similarly, if you miss a lesson, you start to disengage, and then that has that kind of negative multiplier effect where you you then get less engaged in the next lesson, then the next, then you're far too far behind. Then you're you know just you're just completely giving up on that subject, thinking this isn't for me. And it can be as small as just just as tripping up once or twice upstream perhaps that metaphor doesn't quite work but do you see the point i'm making oh absolutely absolutely and then and on top of that when if if you've got a um, a lesson online instruction and you got a 10 question quiz at the end and it turns out all that you needed was a 70 percent if if you and 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 you start passing with that 70 percent it reinforces the idea that you don't have to pay attention. It, it actually encourages the process of saying, well, you don't really need to know until the, the student gets so far behind. They're like, not only do I not, didn't really care about the subject initially, now I don't even understand it enough to be successful. And, and so there are just, there, there are ways to to fix that in a in an in-person setting and it turns out through a little bit of you know ingenuity and in in lesson making and you you can do you can replicate that process to to engage them throughout the video instruction well let's get on to the tips because you you come up with five tips that we can i think all apply um to any kind of Remote learning, perhaps even real learning. Let's see, uh, real learning. What the hell am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, uh, perhaps to remote learning, but even face-to-face learning. So let's go through these yeah. five. So first, the first one you have. Do you want to tell us what that is? Sure. So 
one when you when you instruct, you have to embed questions throughout um, throughout your instruction, and and just sitting through any lecture or or any any lesson in person that that just that's very obvious. But for some reason, when when we switch it to online, that interaction in in a lot of software that you 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 may use if you just put it up on YouTube, which is a great tool, you you lose that, and so. When you use e-learning tools, finding a tool that that allows an individual, uh, you as the instructor, to embed questions throughout the video is really essential. And and one of the reasons for that is it will focus the key points of your lecture or your instruction as the student goes. So when they get information, they're engaging with it in an with with a question and then moving on that that piece is 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 essential um, in 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 quality instruction whether it be in person uh, or online. Well, yeah, as you say, you definitely do that in person. You would ask questions as you go along to check understanding. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you wouldn't get down to the end of the instruction and then all of a sudden say, "So let me ask you ten questions right now to see if you understood it." But when we do that. In, in in video learning, it comes across as kind of this gotcha, like ha ha, you weren't paying attention and you missed this one, and and so if you if you can do it in the instruction itself, it's it's really, it's it changes the model from testing to teaching, and and that's really what embedding those questions throughout a video does. It in, it furthers the instruction rather than simply tests an individual. And you said a, a, a point as well. You said about how it sharpens your thinking about the instruction as well. What oh, are the key points yeah. you said? What are the key points you're trying to get across? Yeah, absolutely. And because sometimes as as video instructors, we'll go back and restate uh, the the key points that we feel like is are, that that are really important. And then we end up restating it like six or seven times. But when really just go through your instruction um, and then you can go back and say like, yeah, that was a key point. I want to ensure that students know this and, and you can embed questions about those key areas. So yeah, as a facilitator, you don't even have to do it during the instruction itself. It's it's something that you can go back and say, yeah, that was that was really important. Or maybe better yet, you didn't really emphasize something particularly well and you can put in a nice little easy question just to reinforce a point um and so you don't have to worry about going back and editing uh quite quite as extensively your your video instruction by by simply putting in questions to reinforce key areas i have seen this done on some videos where they pause it and they put a question on screen and say press pause while you reflect or consider or attempt to answer the question so I have seen it in that kind of yeah. very low low tech way, if you like. Yeah, and those those are those are really really good first steps. And and if I may, that kind of brings me to to kind of the second the second way to engage the reluctant learner. If you know is is that when an individual in in the mindset of the reluctant learner, if it says hit pause and reflect, that works for students that care. That works for individuals that want to learn. But again, you know I taught teenagers or still teach teenagers, you know, how to use prepositional phrases and not a lot of teenagers care. And, and so you won't get much reflection on that. No, that's true. <laughs> no, no. And so, you know, when you've got an adult learning process and, and you may have a reluctant adult learner, um, and you're asking them to reflect if, if they're not as passionate about the subject as you, they may not actually reflect. And so they hit pause and, you know, for the required time frame and then move on is the key is to redirect them if they get a question incorrect. So bring them back to the missed information. So during the video process, and again, this is just a replication of what good in-person instruction is. If you have an ins a, a, giving a lecture and you asked an individual in the audience a question and they got the question wrong, you wouldn't just say, oh, you got it wrong and, or you got it wrong and here's the information, you know, like you got it wrong, the right answer was this. You would say, "You oh, actually, obviously you didn't understand it. Let me go back and re-explain this section again. And then as you do that, you'd come back and say, hey, 
Now, what do you think? Do you still, you know, do you have a new view on the question? And so that's an essential piece for that reluctant learner is that when they get the, we get to the question, if they get it right, they should be able to move on in the video instruction. But if they get it wrong, it should bring them back in the video. And it doesn't have to be fancy. Just bring them back two minutes or so to rewatch that instruction um, so that way they can get the question right. That, that piece is one of the more crucial elements for that, for that, reluctant, for that reluctant learner. Yeah, I mean, this is something now where you've taken a step beyond what's just that kind of low-tech thing that you might be able to do on YouTube because you're actually going back to a specific point and and as you say you're not just revealing the answer you're actually going back to the explanation yeah because if you just reveal the answer like the reluctant learner is like thank you I appreciate now I don't have to pay attention you've identified you know what you've done is for the for that reluctant learner you've you've actually identified the key most important points put them out there and told them what they were so that way they are now in many ways encouraged in, well, you know, it, it allows them to check out during, during the instruction, say like, well, I obviously don't have to pay attention. They'll pause it when the important questions, when the important information comes up and, and, and then even better yet, they'll tell me the correct answer. And so as much as that seems like a very positive thing for your individual, for your students, you want to make them work for it because you're not going to answer, ask a question about every single important thing, just kind of the key points, but you need them to listen and focus throughout the instruction. So that, that's a key, key thing. And then along with that, depending on how, how reluctant your learners actually are, and again, I started this with teenagers, is the multiple choice questions that you might have. It's important to have, say, five or six possible answers. Because if you were to put up questions that redirected individuals back, and remember, get in the mindset of maybe you're back in my class of prepositional phrases, if I just put in true-false questions, the student will game the system, will just not pay attention, hit true, go back two minutes, get back on their phone, check out, then hit false, and continue to move through the video instruction with, with no real, with potentially no real understanding of what what's happening but but it looks like it looks like they were paying attention so having the redirection with when they come to the question where it has six or seven possible answers so the student might be like oh you know oh 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 crap i i need to pay attention now because otherwise they're going to waste all day so that that's that that's another key piece to to ensure that the student is paying attention so that's about having five or six different options on the multiple choice. So it's not just easy to game the true false thing. I yes, just want to ask absolutely. you about that because that made me think about metrics. Do you have metrics on this? Because obviously the true, true false, if you were gaming the system, you'd expect to be right 50% of the time approximately. Whereas five or six, the percentages are obviously going to be much lower if you're just gaming the system and just pressing A, then B, then C, etc. So do you have metrics on how people are using it? We are currently building those metrics in. When we when we first put together the product, the idea was simply it didn't matter how many times a student went back as long as they got the information correct. And I tell my students, it's like it's like building IKEA furniture. Is that uh, sometimes you have to assemble and disassemble and reassemble and get frustrated and walk away and reassemble the furniture and finally finally get it right. Or even before. read the instructions. <laughs> exactly, and, and actually, you're really desperate. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and so it it really didn't matter how many chances it took, as long as they as long as they got the information correct, and as long as you put in kind of that punishment piece where they are being redirected back, they will the reluctant learner will will choose to pay attention, and that's the key. Is you want to make Rather than just the metrics, which we're we're finding those are important, and so we are going to be we are in the process of building that building that piece into the software. But at the end of the day, you want to make the end goal the easiest option for the reluctant learner. So if it's easier easier for them to pay attention the first time so they can get the question right and not be kicked back multiple times, that's what students will do. Drive them to the path you want them to take, not in a way that punishes 
because say like, oh, you you passed with a 60% or an 80%. But if you do need to punish, punish them through making them learn again. And and if you're taking away their time, the the reluctant learner will say, I'd rather go do something else. I might as well pay attention so I get this question right the first time. And that's the end goal. That's what you really want. So the metrics are good and we're building those in. But but I would argue what's even better is is doing the instruction in a way that makes the path you want the learner to take the easiest one to to do. That's a nice way of putting it. The path of least resistance should be the path, the, the right path to take. Correct. You also said something which I just want to shine a bit of a light on because you said a really important phrase, which is make them work for it. And I think that's a really important point. And I know listeners to this podcast know all this already, but a, a friend of mine once said in a meeting, learning just takes effort. You have to make the person think. You have to make them make an effort. Otherwise, learning doesn't happen. Yeah. And I think and that's, that's a really neat way of thinking about it. Yeah. And that's that's really where some of the well-intended YouTube video that pauses and reflects, those, those are really good. Those are, those are a good start. But if, again, if you don't have an individual that is truly interested and really focused on this, they're, they're going to, they're going to check out and they're not going to work for it. And so that's the key is how do you, how can you make a student where you're not physically present? It's in a completely different time than when you gave this instruction and you're, how do you make them work for it? And embedding with those questions that force accuracy, and that kind of brings into the the third point is the force, forced accuracy is is really what you need to do to make them work for it. Well, let's go on to that. Let's talk about forced accuracy. What what do you mean by that? So just because they go back and reinstruct and get to the question again, this is a mistake that I that I have seen in in some software out there that I I feel is a bit of a mistake is when you redirect them back in the instruction and and you bring them. And they get the question, get to the question again, do, still do not tell them the answer. Like they need to get the question right. And, and so if they get it wrong a second time, they should be going back again and rewatching that section. And, and so you, you want them to get the question right in real time. And so, and that's kind of the nice thing about multiple choice type questions is, is that everybody can eventually get the question right. So if you do have a student that is completely stuck and, and they just don't understand, they will eventually be able to get that, that question correct and can continue on with the instruction. But you, but you do want to force them to get that question right, not by giving them the answer, but by giving them the instruction, and and that that um, we are also building in a piece that's going to allow the instructor to, if they want, not simply redirect them back in the video, but redirect them back to a, a secondary a secondary instructional method. Uh, so so we're in the process of building that. But it can be as simple as here's the question, and as the questions pop up, for more information, go to www whatever. So they have that opportunity to, to seek out more information, just even in the question as well. And, and I know for some people, they might think, think, well, if, if we've done the video instruction and it's really important, we might have a quiz at the end where they have to get a hundred percent. The, the problem with that forced accuracy is that oftentimes it requires the student to retake the entire lesson if they don't hit uh, the you know the the hundred percent or the or the required minimum and and that that that's a frustrating piece for for the instructor for the student it wastes time and so you you want to build build those pieces into the instruction so it's just that two minute clip that they go back and 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 rewatch that section I like the thing you said as well where it might go back to a different piece. So like a different kind of explanation or a different way of talking about it. I thought that's quite an interesting point because that's what, again, what you would do in a face-to-face situation. You wouldn't literally just repeat your words. You would actually look for look for different ways of saying it or you would, uh, you know, find different questions and different ways of exploring the subject to try and aid understanding. Absolutely. The the balance, though, is going to be, especially when, when uh, you're uh, a high school teacher or middle school teacher, we're, we're pumping out lessons every day. And in fact, depending on how many different uh, subjects you teach, you might be pumping out, you know, f- three or four lessons every day. And so you don't want to make 
the process of making the instruction overly cumbersome for the instructor. So if you do have, if the, t if the instructor has to re-explain every question a second way, that really doubles the time it takes to create the video. So it's, it's a wonderful way to, once you've kind of created these initial lessons, to enhance it maybe the second go round. But yeah, it's, I, that is the ideal process. Um, but in the meantime, you can, like I said, simply even just put in a little uh, a URL link for further information, click here, or if you're really stuck, uh, go to this website. You know, So uh, there are ways to do it, but one of the key focuses that I've always thought about, at least within our, our company, is let's make this as easy as possible for the instructor as well, too. When you're talking about forced accuracy, it made me think as well, you're talking about a subject like English where there is usually a right or wrong answer. What about if it's something that's less like that? I'm thinking, for example, I'm helping my daughter with her economics at the moment, which was um, something I studied. And a lot of their questions are sort of normative rather than positive. And therefore it's around, should we raise tax? Should we, you know, lower interest rates or whatever? So it's a lot more discursive. It requires thought and there's not necessarily right or wrong answers. Yeah. So for some of those, you still, it takes a bit more work to make a multiple choice type question on that, but it could be like, you know, uh, Juan decided to use, to do this in this economics problem. What would be the best, the most logical rationale why he would have chosen that? So you can kind of shift multiple choice questions so that way it is um, it brings up the process of understanding why and not just what is what is correct. That is possible. But then the other piece and what we've we've built this into is is a multiple choice or short or excuse me a short answer essay uh, type of answer and and we've found that um, we 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 have a uh, an algorithm that that basically uh, looks at the instructor's answer and sample. So the instructor would put in a question, put in their, their uh, expected answer, and then the student types in a, a short answer essay question. And so we've got an algorithm that looks to similarities between the student response and the teacher response and actually pulls from other responses of, of other students and, on, and, and responses of, of that subject online to look for its accuracy. And that, that takes it into a whole new level. But at the end of the day, one of the things that we found is that just simply asking a student to type in an answer and giving them some sort of feedback, even if your algorithm isn't that strong, it gives them some level of feedback, immediate feedback. That piece is really important to take that reluctant learner and say, oh, might be some machine learning that's watching me, you know, under, you know, seeing if I'm answering this question correctly or not, but at least, you know, somebody's checking me and, and it, and it, can give a give an accuracy measure uh, that takes it into a whole nother level. But even uh, yeah, so that that's that is another way another way to do it that uh, that we've we've been able to uh, embed in in what we do. Well, even getting the kind of yes no uh, right wrong response is is a form of feedback, and that's what we being social beings we like interaction. We need feedback. That's engaging. Yeah. And lack yeah, of feedback absolutely. isn't engaging. Yeah, and and so when you've in essence trained the learner that they have to engage with say three or four multiple choice questions. And you put in even, and even if you were just to put in a short answer essay that had no, even had no machine learning or even if it was just a pause and reflect item there, the student is far more likely to engage with that in a meaningful way because they've been forced to engage in meaningful ways throughout. So when when you've done that and put in that open-ended response, uh, we're finding that students are far more likely to to engage in, in when when you've done that than than if you've than if you've never had that forced engagement throughout. Let's pause there. Let's ask listeners now to pause this podcast and try and remember what the first three pieces of advice that Clint said. Then we'll come back and check it after the break. Okay, so welcome back. So did you remember what those first three were? Obviously, you know, Clint, I'm talking to the, talking to the listener now. They were embed questions, redirect to misinformation and forced accuracy. Okay, shall we move on to, sorry, you were going to say something then, Clint, what were you? 
Well, yeah, no, I was just going to say that those those things are, are critical and to do it in throughout the learning process is is in in the in the video instruction. And I I, I do think back to like, you know, if you have somebody taking a, a sexual harassment training, uh, do you know, and, and a lot of times you'll have questions at the end of the video in in traditional, you know, or, or some some types of e-learning process. And, you know, do you really want an employee to pass with 70 percent accuracy uh, on sexual harassment training? And and, uh, and I, I would argue that you really don't. 30 percent wrong is not OK in, in that in that subject matter. But then again, if you if you force 100% at the end of, say, a 30-minute video and force the individual go, to go back and rewatch the entire thing, that that's, tends to create a really bad feeling around sexual harassment training, and people really don't like it. And, and, then, and then they really are checking out. It's, it's just a, it, you need to embed that forced accuracy in those questions throughout the video instruction is, is, is really critical. I think it's a good example you said sexual harassment training, but any of those kind of mandatory learning things that we ask people to do in organizations, most of them are pretty painful because most of them genuinely exist, not for the purpose of learning, but for the purpose of getting an insurance contract. Yeah. Therefore, learning is kind of almost the last thing on anybody's mind. They just cram these damn things chock full of information that you then have to regurgitate at the end. And it, it, it is a painful experience and it really does feel like a barrier between you and learning the content. So, it would be a lot more interesting if that was focused on key points and you were checked all the way along. That would be a much less painful experience. Absolutely. And, and beyond the painful experience, which is, which is absolutely on point, is also what is the message you're sending your employees when you say, whether you say it or, or it just is implied, we're just doing this to check the box for insurance. Sexual harassment training uh, doesn't actually matter to us. We just need you to do this and get the 100% and, or get the required minimum and so we can go on. To me, that sends a very dangerous message, especially if you're using these trainings to bring on new employees or bring them into a new method of your business model. It sets them up to do that with other things. And it's kind of like the dad that smokes and tells his son or daughter to not smoke. Just don't pay attention to the way I'm instructing you. Just get it done so that way uh, you do what I really want you to do, which is really critically think for other things. It's just, it's a very dangerous type of way to to bring staff into, in, into your team. Yeah, it's a really good point. It really does create that bad impression, as you say, putting people through some painful nonsense that's clearly not about learning. Let, let's yeah. move on to your fourth point. What's that about? So the fourth point is this is where you have to use a little bit more of the, uh, I don't want to say punishment, but you've got to really force the uh, reluctant learners. So if you do have that reluctant learner that is, say, not paying attention to the video and they hit the first choice and then they get kicked back and they hit the second choice and they get kicked back third choice typically what what often will happen is they might leave the computer and go clean the house they might just be on their phone playing a game or checking social media while the video is playing you want to embed a timeout feature within within your software itself and this has been really valuable for us uh, especially you know for us you know a teenager learning about prepositional phrases is about as reluctant of a learner as it gets. And so we'll, I will see a student and I'll, I'll step back oh, and, and, and they might be on their phone while the computer is going and they're not paying attention. The questions popped up and it's sitting there waiting for the student to answer. After a certain period of time, you want to auto time out that student. So it logs them out of the system and they lose their progress, at least back to the previous question, and they physically have to log in again. That process is, is not that painful, but it is just frustrating en enough for a student to stop checking out when questions are randomly popping up. And, and if that, that auto timeout feature is kind of that, that, that key ultimate step in forcing the engagement of, of the reluctant learner. I did, did, did that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense because you're right. People will just, or they're, li they're liable to just drift off and, and lose themselves in their phones or whatever. 
So having to continually log back in, as you say, it's a bit like you were saying, it's not really a punishment exactly, but the path of least resistance is stay engaged. Don't, yes. don't drift off because you can't be bothered to log in again and again and Absol- again. Yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise, you know, especially with an individual with a larger screen, they're just going to put your your software in the background and check your check emails. Not that any of us have ever done this with with our learning, our online learning and other classes, but but they'll have it up on the corner in the background, not focusing. And then like, oh, did the question pop up? Oh, yeah, I know it hasn't. Then I'll push it away. But if that question popped up and sat there and you can you can set the time and it, it you know, it can be anywhere between you want it to be maybe more than 30 seconds because you want them to think about the question. Um, but a minute, two minutes, and if they haven't engaged with that question in, in that minute or two minutes, that um, that it kicks them out of the system. And you could also argue that it's a security feature as well, that you don't want an individual to go away and now somebody else is taking taking their test. It's I don't know if it's really needed as a security feature, but if you if you have students that are frustrated about it, or adult learners that are frustrated, say, well, it's a security feature. Everything logs out when you when you don't uh, engage, and so that's that's why. But really, what it does is it uh, takes that path of least resistance, actually paying attention, and makes that uh, makes that the easiest way. Yeah, I mean, these are just a kind of a, a group of different tactics, all of which are pointing towards the path of least resistance being the right path and just trying to keep people engaged. And having a timer is one way. It's one of a, mul- a number of measures which you've gone through. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to go on to your last one, which is actually a list of don'ts. And I see that you've spelt don'ts correctly, which I realize now because you're an English teacher. It's one of those <laughs> things where a lot of people would put in a second apostrophe before the S. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you must have seen yeah. that. It drives me nuts. It's that kind of um, rogue anomaly apostrophe. Something that's not normally plural, pluralized suddenly becomes pluralized and people put in an apostrophe. I don't know why. So it's great <laughs> yep. to see you spelling don'ts properly. Well, well, thank you. I, I would be a bit embarrassed as the English teacher uh, but uh, if I didn't. But uh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, that gives so, me yeah. genuine pleasure to see that. <laughs> You know. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, that that fifth uh, that fifth item is really a list of don'ts, and and it's really kind of stuff that many of your listeners probably already know. But one of the ways that some individuals software will 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 try to ensure that students are paying attention is use eye tracking software, uh, and that's that's actually uh, it's out there, and so that way if you're looking somewhere else or looking at a phone, it it knows that. I would argue don't do that as, as a company. Um, one, it can be somewhat expensive. And two, it will feel very invasive. If you are a part of the CIA or the FBI and doing training, then I think you probably should do it. But unless you're dealing with high levels of security where you want employees to know they're being watched, don't use eye tracking software. There are just a lot friendlier, easier ways to ensure that students are paying attention uh that that'll that'll yeah they're friendlier easier ways to do it yeah that sounds awfully negative i didn't even know the thing existed to be honest but that just seems so as you say invasive that would put me right off in terms of building a if you're sort of building a relationship as a teacher aren't you um even if it's through an e-learning they're still seeing your video and all of that that to me destroys the relationship one hundred percent, and and you know, and there will be industries where that's 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 going to be important. Um, but uh, I I would um, I can't think of one, but yeah, I suppose. <laughs> but yes, I would very strongly recommend against against that. The other piece too is try not to repeat your information uh, throughout your video instruction, and and being able to embed questions uh, will allow you to reinforce your information. So if you don't have that feature, you may be encouraged to really push the point home and say it multiple times. But that just gets very boring for the student. And then you're now encouraging them to check out because you've already stated this a number of times and they know I don't have to pay attention. So we don't repeat information too much. Correct. Correct. Because you're going to repeat it with the question that you embed and that and that engagement with it is really what will encourage that learning to stick. The third the third piece is don't expect e-learning to fully replace in-person follow-up. That's that's um, uh, kind of a mistake that I think a number of instructors in my f- field have made is they either don't do any e-learning because they're, they don't want to replace the in-person uh, follow-up or they do all e-learning and never do in-person follow-up. Uh, they're, they're, 
that human interaction in some way uh, following following the instruction can be can be very valuable. And and uh, you know, I would I would argue that uh, don't expect e-learning to make the the full process that that the human interaction uh, afterwards can can still be a very very valuable part of the learning process. It goes back to the word you started with when you're talking about blended, blended being a blend of different methods, not simply having one or the other. It's blending the yeah. two and using each one for what it's best at. No, absolutely. Well, and there's there's also you know I was thinking was talking with um, a a a company that does trainings and then they they do a lot of in person trainings. One of the ways that that they're looking at utilizing the, our software is doing say three quarters of their trainings before the in-person training. And once they've gotten the, the team of 100 to, to take these, they will now, using the metrics, understand which groups are struggling with different areas. And then when they bring the individuals in person to trainings, then they can do in-person follow-ups that are personalized to the groups of individuals that that need different follow-up instruction. And so that's a really valuable way for a company to make the most out of staff time, it is be able to do the in-person follow-up only with the sections that are needed for only those groups of individuals. Yeah, this is about increasing effectiveness as much as anything else, isn't it? So it's it's not necessarily let's cut loads of stuff here. It's just making the whole thing more effective in terms of improving learning and improving the impact of that learning. So it's yeah, using the absolutely. right tool for it, the job. It's not getting rid of 100%, the tools. A hundred percent, absolutely. And then and then the, the 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 final list of don'ts is don't worry about making your video perfect. This has been the single largest obstacle I've seen for instructors in in moving into e-learning. Uh, they they just feel like they can't make any sort of stutter or make any sort of mistake, and and they spend all day polishing their video to make it look as perfect as possible and 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 they're just wasting a lot of time your in-person instruction is not going to be perfect there's going to be things that go wrong you're going to go off track on your your thought process when you do in-person instruction and there's a certain level of that that is still i would argue acceptable in e-learning. When your dog comes in and barks, it makes you more human. You don't, I would argue you don't need to edit that out. When you maybe bumble a couple of things with, with what you say, that's okay. It's more important to get your instruction out than to make it perfect. And I know some industries might have some apprehension on that, that they want a very clean feel and look. But I would argue the humanness of a slightly imperfect video is is more attractive than a fully polished a fully polished e-learning video. Yes, yeah, so it's a really good point. I mean, it sounds quite obvious in one sense, but actually, it is a real barrier trying to get perfection, especially with videos, because oh. it's really hard to do it well, to, to do it perfectly. I, I should say. And oh, I found, yeah. I found that you're... doing this podcast, for example, when I first started doing this podcast, I was very, I would spend ages doing each bit of it and I would cut out any kind of mistake or stumble. And I realized that was exactly the wrong way to go for the, for the reasons Absolutely. you're saying. Yeah. The people want to have, they want to have an engagement in a relationship and see the other person or hear the other person as, as a, as a real human being that they can relate to and, and your mistakes through, through the, the video or audio allow the individual on the other side to con connect more with you. So don't worry, just get out there, make the first and you know video and and get that first lesson out there uh, or your first podcast out there and it just gets so much easier from there. Don't let perfection, you know, don't let great become the enemy of good as uh, 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 many many have said in the past, but uh, and I think that's very true with with recording your your information. So how long have you been using this process? So uh, this has been about three and a half years. I'd say the the story that of the student that whose mom was arrested that was uh, around Thanksgiving of two thousand 
six. So, oh gosh, maybe a little more. So, so I've been using this pretty extensively in my classroom for the last three years, and we've we've actually done some A/B testing with Brainits and YouTube video and Brainits versus some of um, you know just to be very frank, some of our competing software and the embedded questions, whether it's my our software or our competing software, against. When, when you compare student growth against YouTube videos alone, it is astronomical. The amount of growth that occurs with embedded questions rather than a video with questions at the end. It, it, is, it is in the magnitude of six to 10 times more learning that occurs and, and knowledge retention when you, when you embed, embed those questions. And then when you create that redirection and that forced engagement, then you're looking at another multiplier of two to four times beyond simple embedded questions. So we've, we've been doing it enough to, to really find a, a great deal of success with this. And we're actually started in the K-12 world and now are, are moving. So in that elementary and high school education world and are moving into higher education and, and corporate training uh, uh, right now. Uh, that was my last question really i think you've just answered it but which was about what is what has been the impact on i guess test scores because you've got a very clear measure in the school system have you seen uh, an increase yeah so what we've we've found that you know it's about 10 times more than than youtube video instruction is these these embedded questions in any software will will accomplish and then when you throw in the the force redirection until students get it accurate then it becomes about 2 to 4 times more uh, greater learning retention or knowledge retention in, in the video so we're we're seeing that through students and, and the other very interesting thing is that it's around 4 times more effective for knowledge retention than actual lectures, than in-person lectures. And, and that's always, you know, oftentimes held up as the gold standard. But the problem with, with in-person lectures is that students can still check out. You typically, as an instructor, may only be asking one or two people to answer your questions when you do. And those are the ones that are, those are the smart kids or the smart adults are the ones that are really engaged. So you're not getting to everybody within a video instruction. So we're finding that video instruction with embedded questions that have the force redirection is actually better than in-person lecture. And when you think about it, every student has to get every question right every time with e-learning uh, done this way versus in a lecture in, in person that doesn't that doesn't occur. So, yeah, we're we're seeing we're seeing a tremendous amount of success in in the test scores through 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 this process. Well, I guess as well because you've done you've flipped the classroom and you've put that knowledge transfer into the e-learning. You've also got the face-to-face element, the in-person element to reinforce that learning, to discuss it, to go deeper. And if you so if you're just doing instructional lessons where the knowledge transfer is in the face to face element, you miss out on having that space to do the other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Make, make better and, use of the in person bit. I mean. Yeah. Yes. And well, and that brings up that brings up kind of one of the things that I was very surprised about is I thought that students were going to hate this process, but I honestly didn't really care. Like they're they're students; they have to do what I tell of them to. Not. You've I'm been a high teacher. school teacher for years. You're going to hate kids by now, surely. <laughs> Exactly. And so, but when I first rolled this out to my students, I had a number of slow students. I asked them, I pulled them off to the side and, you know, I just, you know, what do you think? They're like, Mr. Knox, I like that I can like pause this and think about this as I go. And it turns out not every kid doesn't want to learn. It just turns out that some kids can't learn at the pace that you're instructing at. And it will allow them to pause and move forward with the lesson as they need. And then I've gotten other students that will tell me like that they just hate it when a teacher says, find the answer in the book. Well, you got the question wrong, go search for the answer. They're like, that's just a waste of everybody's time. They, they just get, where, where is, where is the information? I want to know this, but now an instructor might say, just, we'll find it in the book. But in a video and e-learning, 
you can redirect the individual back to the information that they need to rewatch that section. And so students love that, that piece as well. And then finally, my advanced students were like, wait a second, I don't have to wait for the other kids to understand. I can just keep progressing as I, as, as fast as I'm able to, and get these questions right as, as, and, and get done early. I was like, well, yeah. And then you can read a book or you can work on math or you can work on science or you can, we can do this enhancement lesson. They're like, this is awesome. And so that process to allow that individual instruction, and and it's very counterintuitive to think that e-learning can be more personalized than, than in-person instruction, but it really done well is because it allows the individual to progress at their own pace. Um, and that, that piece we found to be what my reluctant learners and, uh, and engaged learners have loved the most about, about this process. I think that's a really nice place to end it on to actually think that e-learning can be a more personalized experience than the face-to-face, which, as you say, is totally counterintuitive and, and quite surprising. And I guess this also makes your role more interesting because you can have much more fun in the face-to-face bit and you've got a completely new dimension to the role in terms of media production. Oh, yeah. And so for me, it, it's uh, and I'm able to reuse lessons from from different years and other and other instructors and I are able to share lessons. So the upfront work is actually not near. It actually becomes a lot less intensive than than um, the traditional lecture model. Uh, and especially once you get over the fact that your lectures don't have to be or in your instruction doesn't have to be perfect. It becomes less work. And now in the classroom setting, when I have students say, utilizing that, you know, they might be, they might be doing these lessons in the class where I'm at, but now I'm able to work with individuals one-on-one. I'm able to uh, engage with them in a much more personal level rather than being, being in, in, you know, we talk about not stop, not being the sage on the stage. It's not my, it's not my uh, theater production anymore. I'm not the one on the stage conducting. Uh, I'm, they are engaging and I'm off to the side now in interacting with them. And, and it truly, truly is able to work out well. And I think I think it it lends itself extraordinarily well to the corporate world and, and adult learning with with the with the personalized uh, ability to progress at your own pace. Well, I think it's brilliant that you have innovated this for the kids that you are teaching. I think they're very lucky to have a teacher who has attempted to innovate and make it more interesting, make the lessons more engaging, make knowledge retention the difference that can make to their whole lives is brilliant so i wish you'd been at my school when i was a kid because um i'm not not going to go on about my experience in school but it wasn't brilliant (laughs) so thank you very much clint that's been a really interesting discussion and i think there's loads there that we can take into the corporate world and really think about that's really inspiring so thank you very much well john thank you so much for your time and uh, i really appreciate you having me on thank you so much (laughs) 